Hello to Cities Church. It is so good to be with you, whether you are watching online, you're in the VHQ, or you are right here in the room. I'm excited to be here. And I just wanna lead off by showing off my beautiful family. This is a picture of my wife, Victoria. She and I have been married for nine years, and also our three-year-old daughter, Eleanor Bell. So for Victoria, whenever we first met, for me, it was love at first sight. For her, it was just first sight. But she <laughs> caught up, and now here we are, and we're happy together. And uh, our daughter, Eleanor Bell, if, if you're ever talking to me or Victoria, and you just feel like a gust of wind just kind of sweep through the space, at ease, that was Eleanor. She's a tiny tornado. She's our gift from God, and we love her so very much. And in case you have not heard, uh, which actually you just heard from Pastor Kyle, and you've heard over the cup, uh, a couple of weeks, just let me... Uh, share it with you straight from me. In the uh, spring of 2021, uh, my wife and daughter, Eleanor, we're gonna be picking up our lives and we're gonna be moving to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And we're gonna be planting a new gospel-centered church with a big heart for college students. And there's a lot of things that may come into your mind whenever you think about Myrtle Beach. You may think about some bad decisions that you made on a spring break trip at one point or another. You may think about family vacations, but let me reframe the narrative. Whenever you think about Myrtle Beach, Think more than vacation destinations. Think more than bad decisions. Think it's ripe for gospel mission. Amen. And so I'm gonna tell you a little bit more about that as we get uh, progressed through the sermon, but we're excited to be partnering with Two Cities Church to plant Coastway Church. Also, I need to say thank you. Thank you, Two Cities Church. Ever since I connected with Pastor Kyle earlier this year, you guys have welcomed us. You have resourced us. You have encouraged us. You have hosted us. You have blessed us. And I wanna be specific with some of the ways that you guys have blessed me, my wife, and Coastway Church already. First of all, you know, it's one thing to be here in the room every single week and not think about who might be sitting on the other side of this sermon, maybe watching online, and maybe that's you today. But I just wanna talk about how back in like November of 2019, Two Cities Church, Pastor Kyle was walking through a series and it was called Abraham. And I was listening to those sermons considering whether or not we were going to put our yes on the table and actually move into church planting. And I can remember Pastor Kyle talking about how faith is going without knowing. Faith is taking God at his word and what? Taking your next step. And it was through the substance of those sermons that God forged faith in us to move forward into church planting. The other way that I wanna say thank you is because of The Weekender. And now if you've not been to The, the Weekender, it is, a, it is the, probably the best way for you to get to know the vision, the values, and the vehicles of Two Cities Church. It's incredible. But we attended The Weekender uh, kind of from the perspective of a church planter, Pastor Kyle, Pastor Dave, they invited us to come and sit in and we were hosted well, we were encouraged, but we sat right over here in this corner and actually Pastor Kyle stood us up and said, hey, we're gonna pray for you. And he prayed for us and encouraged us. But after going to the Weekender, we were, we were literally put, and this is no exaggeration, two years ahead. Philosophically, organizationally, theologically in this church planting journey. So thank you. And I also wanna say a big thank you because two of your very own and two of our very best friends, Travis and Amanda Motzinger, who are Two Cities Church members, they're going with us. They are picking up their lives to, to move to Myrtle Beach to make disciples with us. And, and maybe some of you, you say, hey, that's me. God has been having a conversation with me about putting my yes on the table. And, and I just don't know where on the map, maybe it's with us in Myrtle Beach. And if so, we would love to have a conversation. But here's where we are at. Go ahead, get your Bibles, whether on your app 
or in your lap and join me in Luke chapter two. We are in week two of a series called Do You See What I See? And by the way, if you missed last week's message, you missed out. You need to go back and you need to hear what was it like for Mary and and Joseph to experience the first Christmas. Pastor Kyle did a phenomenal job of just putting us in the sandals of Mary and Joseph to experience the first Christmas. But here's what we're going to get into today. And I need to give a disclaimer. This is very familiar. This is Linus on the stage in a Charlie Brown Christmas familiar. This is, I want these verses on a coffee cup familiar. These are, I I want these verses on a Christmas card familiar. And you know, whenever something is familiar, something beautiful becomes familiar, we are at risk. We are at risk of normalizing marvelous beauty because we've just gotten used to it. And I just want to invite you with me to resist the temptation to normalize the most significant and momentous occasion in all of human history. And so here's a question to help us behold the glory of Jesus' birth. And it's this, how should we respond? How should we respond to Jesus' birth? And I will go ahead and tell you, there's one way that we shouldn't respond, and that's culturally. There's a lot of Christmas culture, isn't there? And what is Christmas culture? Christmas culture is whenever we elevate Christmas traditions over and above Christian convictions, And it happens all the time. It actually populates in our spending. So let me just poll the people really quick. And if you're online, you can participate too. But who in here loves to get all of your shopping done online? You're like, Amazon, that's it. Come on, that's me. Or how about, I I like to actually go to the store and take the product off the shelf and put it in the cart and sit in line with some other cranky people. Not you, I'm not talking about you. No, and, and you know, honestly, I'm more the online guy, but if that is you, I don't know whether to pray for or admire you. I really don't because that's just gotta be so complicated and so time consuming. It's just, it's not for me, but it might be for you. That's okay. Uh, But here's the thing. Did you know that Target and Amazon have a vision for how you ought to spend your money? And what's so, what's so easy is it really increases this time of the year. There's this unique temptation. And by the way, Two Cities Church, you are a generous church. And we have felt that. What is happening here is not common, unfortunately. You are a generous church, but... As generous as Two Cities is, there is still going to be a unique temptation this time of the year to close our wallets to the mission of God as we open our wallets to all these consumer goods. So that's one of the ways that Christmas culture shows up. Another way that Christmas culture shows up is entertainment. We all like to be entertained, right? It's just a part of like our DNA. Uh, Mariah Carey, she, uh, I don't know if she wrote the song, but she's the one who sings the song, All I Want for Christmas is... You, yes, yeah, so some of you, about five of you have listened to the song already this Christmas. Did you know that Mariah Carey actually makes $2.6 million every Christmas on that song? Why? It's because we love Christmas culture. So we've got all the festive decor, we've got the family dinners. It's all fine and good until these things become blinders to the beauty of Jesus's birth. That's the risk that we are running. And when we come to this point, friends, The bloom is off the rose. We have lost the beauty. We have lost the power. We have lost the purity of what Christmas and the gospel are all about. So we don't respond culturally, casually. How should we respond to Jesus' birth? By being compelled. It ought to compel us. So let me go ahead and let me give you the sermon in a sentence. And here it is. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. 
The birth of Jesus compels us to tell of him publicly and to treasure him personally. Tell and treasure. Treasure and tell. Did you know that is the cadence of the Christian life? And that's what Luke chapter two is all about. So let's get started. Verse one. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So I just want you to notice how the story picks up. It doesn't pick up with once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away, this happened. No, so this is not Disney Plus. This is not a bad Star Wars remake. This is not a lovely legend. This is eyewitness testimony of actual human history. And what we're seeing is that the baby born in a manger, here's our hope and here's our confidence. He is God and he really did come. And how do we know this? Well, we know this by how specific Luke gets with the places, the people, and the points in history that you can actually verify. Verse two, for example, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. So Rome had a notorious reputation for extortion through taxation. So this census, it's, that's really what it's about. It's so that Rome can get theirs and more of theirs than really what is fair. And as this is uh, going on, Mary and Joseph are finding themselves in a place to where they are under really bad authority. And let me just ask you this. Have you ever found yourself under bad leadership, bad, bad human authority that, that was unfair, that was unforgiving, and it felt really harsh? Well, did you know that the, the biblical authors, Luke, Paul, Jesus, they lived under corrupt human authority. And they related to God under corrupt human authority. They related to the poor under corrupt human authority. So if, if you find yourself in a place where my upline or my boss is just giving me the business and not treating me in a way that really is just or fair, Jesus, the, the biblical authors would have a lot in common with you. Verse four, and Joseph also went up from Galilee. Notice how it says up. So Bethlehem was located on a mountain that was about 2,654 feet high. By the way, Mary is pregnant. From the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. So this would have been, depending on the route that they had taken, which was probably the longer, safer route, about 90 miles. And it was uh, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Why? Verse five, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So again, let's put ourselves in the sandals of Mary and Joseph. And I wanna go ahead and acknowledge this is holy ground. So men in the room with wives who have given birth, just sit there and reverently nod your head as we venture into this territory. How pregnant was Mary? She was very pregnant. She was 35 weeks pregnant. She was third trimester pregnant. And I'm not gonna ask a stupid question and say, do you remember? Because that would be very male of me. I'm just gonna assume that you remember, ladies, the, 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 the cramps, the, uh, the, the sleepless nights. Uh, the, I, I'm, I'm not really walking anymore. I've, I've kind of started the, the shuffle. Like that's actually, 
happening. And what about those strange cravings? It's like you're going through the drive-through and you're like, I'll have a number one and I really want pickles. In fact, a lot of pickles. Actually, hold the sandwich, I just want the pickles. See, Mary is actually this pregnant at this point. So, at, uh, not to mention, imagine while you're this pregnant, mounting a donkey, any takers? Nobody on this side of the room, online, no? Okay, we'll keep going. Uh, mounting a donkey and traveling 90 miles, uphill, outdoors, all while craving and cramping with a husband who is broke. Anybody? <laughs> no, I didn't think so. Guys, th- these were the circumstances into which the God of the universe was born. And verse six goes on and says, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. So it says that the time came. So you've probably heard of the word opportunity. But what's interesting is where do we get the word opportunity from? It's from the Latin phrase ob porta, which actually presents a word picture of this premium moment. It's a nautical term, in fact. This premium moment whenever the tide comes into the harbor where ships are and it raises them to maximum mobility so that they could go anywhere in the world. This was the premium moment into history whereby the God of the universe entered. It was a premium moment for a diverse movement to spread. And there's really four reasons why. Theologically, it was, it was a premium moment because 300 prophecies had been given talking about this moment. So the people were expecting it. The law of Moses had been given and it had done its work and we couldn't keep it. The promise to Abraham, that has been given. So we know that there's going to be a people who will be a light to all of the nations. So theologically, also uh, religiously, uh, right now Rome was in charge and all the ideals, all the idols of Greco-Roman culture were leaving people very empty. They were like, something has to be better. There has to be something more. Additionally, culturally, it was the right time because Greek culture was so prevalent, everybody spoke the same language. So we didn't have language barriers to the point to where you couldn't spread the gospel. Additionally, it was the right time politically because at this point in human history, the Pax Romana, which means the peace of Rome, which means Rome had conquered the world and there weren't wars and all of these hardships and conflicts going on globally with warring nations. And this meant that roads had been built and the gospel could go further faster. And here's here's why I, I bring this out. It's because some of you, some of us, are struggling with God's timing in some area of our life. And I wanna acknowledge God's timing is often not preferred. It's very often not predictable, but his timing is perfect. When we can't trace his hand, we can always trust his heart. Verse seven, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. So what did Jesus' life involve? It was a virgin birth. It was a violent cross and a vacant tomb. But you wanna know what the, the span of his experience was at every step? It was humility before glory. It was, I'm gonna get low before I exalt myself. Let, let us see that Jesus arrived with no place to be born and he died with no place to be laid. Why? And it's very profound and very important for us to understand that the reason why he came this way, the reason why he came weak is so that he could end evil without ending us. 
You see, if Jesus had come to destroy all sources of evil, none of us would be left. And if you think that this is an exaggeration, you probably don't know your heart very well. Did you know that 90% of us think that we are, for the most part, good people? And so if God will just grade on a curve, and I'm not as bad as Joe, Joe Screwdriver over here, who's my neighbor, or, or uh, another person over here who's just definitely more busted up and broken than me, then I'm going to be in good shape, and I'm going to stand before God, and I'll be okay. God does grade on a curve, but it's not the, cur- the curve of human condition. It's, it's the curve of Jesus' substitution in your place. So instead of us being treated as condemned as our sins deserve, we are said, instead treated as commended as Jesus' life deserved. It's the great exchange, and we get to benefit. And here's why God came weak, because he was going to end evil without ending us. And here's the way to think about it. What does a good fireman do? Well, a good fireman is going to show up to the scene of, of a fire that is out of control, where it feels hopeless and people are hurting, and they're going to deal with the source, not the symptoms. So the symptoms would be the smoke. If you see a fireman who's just going around and they're just like fanning smoke, you're just like, bro, you're a fireman and you need to get fired. That is not your job. No, your job is to deal with where is that fire uh, blazing from? And so they get to the source and they deal with that and then everything is rebuilt. Well, what the gospel says is that human rebellion and all the evil that we see in, in, around us and in life, that was a fire that we started. And that is a fire that we can't put out. And so what we want God to do is we want God to come and put out the fire, but we don't want him to come and deal with the fire starters as we, as we deserve. So we want God to deal with oppression and poverty, but did you know that that begins with greed in the human heart? And we want him to deal with riots and racism, but did you know that that begins with hatred in the human heart? We want God to deal with addictions, but did you know that all addictions begin with some inner impulse that drives us into darkness? And we don't want him to deal with, with all of that. And so what the gospel says is you started the fire, you can't put the fire out, but Jesus has come and he alone is gonna be able to actually put out the fire and help you rebuild. But religion says the opposite. It says that we can actually take care of it on our own. And so what happens? Well, God in Christ, he comes. And he does not just come to be put in a wooden trough. He comes to be nailed to a wooden cross. He did not just come to be conceived in a womb. He came to be consigned to a tomb, to not just be rejected by an innkeeper, but to be rejected by an entire people who at the end of his life would shout, crucify him, crucify him. And even his own father who would turn his face away so that justice could be served, so that sinners could live. Jesus came to end sin without ending sinners. He came to end evil without ending evil. The bringer of judgment came to bear judgment. Why? It's because he loves you. And it's because he's for you, not against you. As the hymn goes, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Two cities church, behold the king. This is how he came. In verse eight, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So let's just go ahead and state the obvious. These guys weren't having a great year. Okay, if you were a shepherd, that meant that you had ultimately failed. This was an important job, but it was also a thankless job. You see, shepherds were an odd and undignified class. 
And here's what's important. This region where the shepherds were watching over the flocks was the same region where many of the lambs were being bred and raised to be used for temple sacrifices. And so these temple sacrifices were used in the old covenant to atone for and cover the sins of the people so that they could experience forgiveness and pardon. But it wouldn't last forever. And so what happens is the angel comes to the shepherd and says, you are looking to physical lambs for provision. But what I'm gonna do is I'm going to relocate your focus to the lamb of God who takes away your sins, who will be your ultimate provision. And so he shifts their focus away from the pastures and to the manger where Jesus would be born. Verse nine, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Now, when we think about angels, this is Christmas culture, let's talk about it. We are tempted to typecast them according to certain stereotypes. So they are chubby little babies with harps and diapers and wings. That is not the biblical vision of an angel. <laughs> in fact, uh, uh, actually in the Bible, angels are often mistaken for people, except they're a lot more impressive and they are a lot more <laughs> intimidating. And here's how we know that, because the shepherds were filled with what? Great fear. The word great is where we get the word mega from, and the word fear is where we get the word phobia or phobic from. So they were mega phobic. And here's, why, why were they afraid? We get afraid when we come into the presence of one who is greater than us. And the outcome of that encounter is going to rise and fall based off of the character of the one who is greater. Is, is he going to crush me? Or is, 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 is he or she going to be kind to me? And just to give you an analogy of this, uh, so I, I love basketball. Basketball is like my favorite sport. And um, I uh, played basketball a couple years in college. And I still, like I'm 32 years old, I still try to play basketball like I'm 22 years old. And that does not always go well. Sometimes I get myself in trouble. I have this competitive edge and I just want to, I want to win, I want to compete and I want to leave it all out on the floor, but it just doesn't feel as natural 10 years later since I was in college. Uh, and so it doesn't matter how much I would compete or go out there and play pickup basketball and think that I was kind of a big deal because I'm definitely not. Um, one, of the, one of the really tough parts about 2020 is we lost Kobe Bryant. And I, I you know, honestly, I still kind of struggle. I struggle with how that happened, what went down. Um, can't, can't explain exactly what was going on right there, but um, imagine that I'm playing 32-year-old Jeremy, trying to play like 22-year-old Jeremy, is in there playing pickup basketball, in walks Kobe Bryant. Finished. I am done. It is over. It does not matter how hard I try. I am not going to be able to outlast or upstage Kobe Bryant. Why? Because he is entirely greater than I am. He's in a totally different category, and that's what the shepherds were encountering one who is greater in a completely better, more beautiful category. And see what happens, verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? All the people, all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, and here's the good news, a savior who is Christ the Lord. You see, we would have to fear the presence of the one we encounter if they came to crush us. But we can rejoice in the presence of one who is greater through this encounter if they came to cover us. 
if they came to cleanse us. And we know in John 3, 17, that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through himself. And what is it that makes this good news? Because it's for you. It's for all people. So think about Mary and Joseph. How old were they? They were very young. So the gospel is for the young. Think about Anna and Simeon. If you keep reading, they were very old. The gospel is for the elderly or the the old. Uh, You think about the wise men. They were educated. They were elite. Well, the gospel can be for you too. It just takes a little bit more convincing sometimes. But then when you look at the shepherds, who are the shepherds? The shepherds are everyday people. The shepherds were the guys who they drove maybe busted up pickup trucks and drank their coffee black and had marriage problems and their kids wouldn't listen to them and they were struggling to get by and they, 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 were, they dropped out of school and they were, they were wondering whether or not they were gonna be able to get their kids to a place where they could have a broader future. They're us. They are everyday people. And what, is, what does this say? This, this says that the gospel is good news for all of us. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds, notice this word, they said, they said, to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So what's interesting about verse 15 is notice how the language is so plural. Notice how the shepherds were in community with one another and they experienced God more clearly in community with one another. This sounds a lot like community groups. This sounds a lot like DNA groups. This, this sounds a lot, a lot like I'm gonna open my Bible where I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to know God, but I'm also, I'm gonna open my life where I can get to know you and you can get to know me. And I, I, there can be victory and vulnerability. Did you know that there are 59 one another's throughout the course of the New Testament? Uh, they range from, hey, encourage one another. Hey, serve one another. Hey, host one another. Hey, confront one another. What, what does this tell us? This tells us that it is impossible to fulfill the Christian life and live out of our identities as family members in isolation. And so what we see from the shepherds is that you can't see God as clearly by yourself as you can in community. And what we've seen from Mary and Joseph already is you can't see God and keep him to yourself. Verse 16, take a look. And they went with haste, so they're excited. And you know what? This was probably the first time in a long time that these shepherds were excited about something that they felt like they had something to offer to somebody. And you know what, that's us a lot of the times. And one of the reasons why we can can get so dreary and weary is because we are drifting. We're drifting away from the true wellspring of hope, which is the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus' birth. And they're excited, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So what was the manger? The, The manger was a feeding trough for animals. So imagine bringing your innocent, precious, helpless baby home and putting putting her in your dog's food bowl. Oh, that would be very strange. That would be mean. That would be harsh. We we don't do that. Somebody's getting a call. Like, we don't don't, don't do that. Why? Well, Well, because we're above that. 
but Jesus was not. This is, these are the circumstances into which Jesus was born. And how does this move us? How does this compel us? Well, truly seeing the birth of Jesus is going to compel us in at least two ways. Let me give them to you now. Take a look at verse 17. And when they saw it, so do you see what the shepherds see? We're about to find out. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered. So now they've got people talking. Actually, something that the shepherds said has stuck with others in society. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds, keyword, told them. So how does the birth of Jesus compel us? It compels us to tell of Jesus publicly. Charles Spurgeon was once asked by a student, can those who have never heard the gospel be saved? And he said, this is a troubling question indeed. But he said, can I pose to you an even more troubling question? It is, can those who have received the gospel and who profess faith in Jesus, who never share the gospel, can they truly be saved? This is truly a troubling question. How do we know that the shepherds were saved? How, how do we know that they really saw, not just with the eyes of their, of, their, of their heads, but with the eyes of their hearts? Well, it's because out of the overflow of their heart, they spoke, as Jesus says in Luke 6, 45. So what God made known to the shepherds, the shepherds made known to others. And there's so much irony that is going on right here. And let me just share some of that. Shepherd, shepherds were just so bottom of the barrel in society that they could not even give a testimony in public court. And so God says, okay, you're not, you don't even have the credibility to testify as on the witness stand, but here's what I'm gonna do. I'm going to record your testimony to be passed down for future generations for all time. I, I, I believe that you're somebody, even though society has said that you are nobody. I'm going to give you worth. I'm going to give you value. I'm going to give you dignity. I am going to be your source, no matter what society says. And this is significant because this means that they had relocated their identity to the right wellspring. You see, society said you're nobody, you have no hope, and you have no credibility. The same thing that society says to us. But God says, hey, you're somebody to me. And do you want to know whether or not you are somebody to somebody? What sacrifices are they willing to make to show it? Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice to show you that you are somebody to him because of what he did for you. God demonstrates his love for us. Why? And that while we were still sinners, we didn't deserve it. Jesus died for us. And so what made the shepherd so eligible is the same thing that will make you eligible for the gospel. I know I need help. I am utterly helpless. Jesus, help me. And so the wellspring of Christian identity pours out when we stop believing the lies of the enemy. Do you wanna know how to overcome the enemy in your life? Two ways, a right identity and a bold testimony. Revelation 12, 11 says that we overcome the accuser by the blood of the lamb, which washes us clean and gives us newness of life. And the word of our testimony, which spreads this news to all people, which was God's plan from inception. And the serpent's words to Adam and Eve in the garden, do you remember? Did God really say that he is pleased with you? Did God really say? And then the angel from God said, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. And this is coming to the least, to the last, and the lost. Not to Herod's palace, but to a shepherd's pasture. Ask yourself this question, friends. Am I operating out of my identity as a witness? 
And here's a way that you can know who is close to you, but far from God. And how are you relating to them? Think about your friends. Think about your family. Think about your relatives. And think about your acquaintances. Think about your neighbors. Think about your coworkers. Think about your classmates. How are you relating to these individuals? Are you praying for them? Are you listening to them or just talking at them? Are you engaging with their being and treating them as a person, not a pawn? Are you serving them? And will you share this glorious news with them? I can tell you that seeing Jesus is what has given us such a huge burden for Myrtle Beach. Whenever God called us to plant a church, he put three things on our hearts. Uh, college students, so Coastal Carolina University, go Shauna Claire's, but I mean, just a flagship year in football, it's incredible. But Coastal Carolina University is right there, 11,000 students and growing. Ori Georgetown Tech is there, 7,000 students right next to Coastal Carolina University. So you've got a college student density of the most mobile, equipable demographic on the planet right there in the amount of 20,000 people. You're like, in Myrtle Beach? In Myrtle Beach, yes. So college students. Next, a growing city. We wanted to go to a place where 10 years from now, we would still have a lot of people to reach. Did you know Myrtle Beach is the second fastest growing metro area in the United States three years in a row? 46 people are moving there every single day. Today, 1,400 people will move there every single month. Every single one needs this news. And we plan to share it. And uh, additionally, uh, we wanted to go to a place where there is gospel need. So 75% of those who live in Myrtle Beach are without a meaningful connection to a local church. And we know that there are good churches there and we will not be the only, the only good church there, we, but we want to be one of them. We're not going to start the work, we're going to strengthen the work. And so this is what God has called us to do. And, but we know that if God is calling us, he's also calling others. And maybe he's calling you. If so, we would love to have a conversation with you. Pastor Kyle has been really uh, uh, generous and clear about our partnership together. This is something that we are doing together. And so if you wanna learn a little bit more about who we are, where we're headed, our vision, values, and vehicles of Coastway Church, just go to coastwaychurch.com. Or also, we're, we're on social media. You can follow us. And you can keep up with, with the work and the direction of where we are headed. And we would love to have a conversation with you. But that's the first thing that we see, is we see that if we really experience the birth of Jesus, then it is going to be a hallmark for us telling others publicly of his coming. But next, treasure Jesus personally. When we have truly experienced and seen what the shepherds and the angels saw, we will treasure Jesus. Mary treasured Jesus. It's evident, it's, it's explicit in the, in the text. Joseph. He was more than a willing victim. He didn't just do this because he had to, because he didn't have to. He could have divorced her quietly, but instead he chose to train Jesus as a carpenter to swing a hammer and build end tables for 30 years in obscurity. He invested in Jesus. But for the shepherds, look at the language of glory and praise in verse 20. What does that say? This says that more of their identity has been recovered and it's been relocated in the right place and the right source. This is their identity as worshipers. They are now worshiping rightly. What was it? What was it that led the shepherds to treasure Jesus? 
Well, it's the same thing that's gonna lead you and that leads me to treasure Jesus. They believed God's promises. They believed that even when they couldn't see it, God was working. And they believed that God was for them and not against them, no matter how hard life gets. And even in those moments when it's hard and life is heavy, where do we go? Well, there's a gravitational pull toward doubt and unbelief. But we must resist this undertow and go back to the anchor and the firm foundation of God's word, which was and is and forever shall be and will never pass away. They believed the promise of the angel and that led them to, to worship rightly. But what else did they, did they do? Well, they beheld God's presence. They saw the goodness of God in the land of the living. And think about it. We will become as we behold. If I spend my hours scrolling through Instagram or Facebook or TikTok, then I'm going to become a discontent, distracted person who is incomplete, socially connected digitally, but socially lonely actually. If all I ever do is focus on my sin, then I'm gonna be ashamed. If all I ever do is focus on myself, then I'm going to be selfish. But if I focus on true beauty, I can become truly beautiful. And there is no one and no thing more beautiful than the birth of Jesus that would culminate in a criminal's cross and crescendo with an empty tomb for you. This is good news that ought to bring great joy for all people, for you and for me and for your neighbor and for the person you don't like, for the minority, the person that you misunderstand that doesn't get you. They had now found the supreme value source in life. What we treasure, hear this, it affects everything about how we live. So if you wanna know, how you're, what am I treasuring? What are you seeking? Where is the direction of your life moving? Is it moving more toward comfort and convenience just because this feels right? Or is it moving more toward glorious purpose? This is Christ. I am locating Christ in my direction and what I'm seeking. Or what about how you suffer? Is it just like, well, God's unfair. God's unfair, why me? You're always bullying me, you're always picking on me. And I'm not trying to make light of suffering. It's been a hard year. It's been a hard year. But when we treasure Jesus personally, it is going to reframe the way that we experience suffering. It's gonna say, this suffering is for your glory, God. And even though I can't trace your hand, I can trust your promises that you are working all things out. And that at the end of this, and even through this, I'm gonna get you and that's enough. Or how about how you serve? How do you relate to others? Are you serving in your home? Serving uh, the church. Here, here at Two Cities Church, the, the, the goal is for everyone to have a ministry to the church and a mission in the world. How's that going? Also, steward. What, what I do with my money. It's huge. So uh, there's actually, if you really wanna think about what, what am I treasuring? What did God treasure? Uh, I wanna point you to uh, a mystery writer. Her name is Dorothy Sayers. And Dorothy Sayers is just an incredible writer. And uh, she actually was the first woman to ever graduate from Oxford. And not only this, but she was admittedly unlovely. She said, I am ugly. 
She would say, uh, nobody is attracted to me. But she was an incredible writer, very smart. And so she started writing these mystery, this mystery series called uh, Lord Whimsy. And as she was writing about Lord Whimsy, she wrote about this character who she began to fall in love with. And as about halfway through the series, there is a character who shows up named Harriet Vane. And Harriet is not attractive, the first woman graduate from Oxford. And all the Dorothy Sayers scholars say, it's Dorothy. She wrote herself into the story because she fell in love with those who were involved in the story. And you say, oh, isn't that cute? Isn't that special? Can I tell you that this is actually what God has done for us? Even when he didn't have to. Even when he didn't have to write himself into the story and enter into the brokenness of human history, he did it for you, he did it for me. He, he left his glory so that you could, could participate in it forever. He was rejected so you and I could be accepted. He left the, the, the riches of heaven and subjected himself to the poverty of our sin so that we might be saved. Won't you tell publicly of a king like this? Won't you treasure personally a king like this? Pray with me. Father, this is holy ground. The coming of a king, nothing is better. Nothing is better because this is good news that casts out our fear and brings joy to our hearts. And God, we just wanna take a few moments and we want to recognize that you have not treated us as our sins deserve and that you came in weakness so that our strength could be restored. For this, we praise you. God, I wanna pray for the, the families of Two Cities Church. God, I wanna, I wanna pray for the single mom who's watching online and is struggling and is wondering if she can ever have hope. God, I wanna, I wanna pray for the person who just feels misunderstood, that you would let them know and that you would speak to their hearts that you view them as somebody and you will be their hope and you can be their credibility. And God, let this news lead all of us, it's for all of us, to tell of you and treasure you. In Jesus' name, amen.